Thank you for that reading, deep opening scripture and opening prayer. Today's lesson comes from the book of Isaiah, the 58th chapter. We moved on chapter. All of this is conclusive. The last few chapters here in Isaiah, we about eight chapters away from completing the book of Isaiah. These three verses, or two verses that we will examine this afternoon, has to do with the preaching of the proclamation, not necessarily of God's word, but of the judgments to come because of the people's transgression of God's word. In other words, when a prophet came, most of the time the prophet came with a proclamation of judgment or warning. Well, that's a warning of proclamation of the people's condition of where they had transgressed God's word. It shows a failure of the priesthood, a failure of the leadership of the culture at large of the parents of those in authority that's responsible for teaching God's word. So with that, the reason I made it broad right there is because all of this is for our admonition. So, New Testament-wise, the application would be that not so much as the prophetic sense, because in the prophetic sense, the preachers are there are different prophets in the God's word, and we know prophesying in the New Testament would just be speaking the word of God. There's no new truth to speak. In other words, Scripture has been written and there's no adding to it or taking away. So it's the proclamation or exhortation and the reproof, the instructions of God's word. It's applicable to some in different ways as God has graced each individual with that faith and however he's gifted that individual in that position of place in the body of Christ. So we're to be witnesses, we're to be vocal, we're, we're to declare God's word. Maybe not in the same positional way. It says, shout with the voice of a trumpet blast. Tell my people of their sins. Yet they act so pious. They come to the temple every day and are so delighted to hear the reading of my laws. Just as though they would obey them. Just as though they don't despise the commandments of their God, how anxious they are to worship correctly. Oh, how they love the temple service. He's taking the facade off here. In other words, these are pious people that on the outside, they act like, and in the, as in Ezekiel's time, when he said, they love to come and hear your word, hear my word, they get a lot of pleasure out of hearing the word, but they're not going to do it. In other words, they honor in God with their lips, but their hearts are far from it. And we know Isaiah called it a hypocritical nation, which really that's being a point big for what this nation is. Well, I'm living in a hypocritical nation here in America today. It's a hypocrisy, and it's just as they were then. They seem delighted to do God's word, his law, walk in his way or whatever, but actually so forth at the doing of God's word, they wouldn't do it. Uh, the book of, that was the living version of 
Amplified verse 3. Cry aloud, do not hold back. Lift up your voice like a trumpet and declare to my people that transgression and to the house of Jacob their sins. Yet they seek me day by day and delight that is superficially to know my ways. As if they were rare, if, as if they were in reality a nation that has done righteousness and has not abandoned or turned away from the ordinances of their God. They ask of me righteous judgment, they delight in the nearness of God. So we see here a facade being lifted up of people that seem as though they act as though they love God's word, but do God's word, but Anand is far from doing it. They're far from that word. So what happens here is one of what is one of the duties of a minister and that's proclaiming the word of God. But that duty also falls on others of us, just like at that time it wasn't just to the priests, it was to the parents, it to the leaders, it's also. So there's a charge from God. We have a charge from God. Isaiah 62 and 6 says, On your walls, O Jerusalem, I have appointed and stationed watchmen. He called the prophet watchmen. But with us, we're witnesses of his word. We're witnesses. Who will never keep silence day or night, you who profess the Lord. Take no rest for yourselves and give him no rest from your prayer until he establishes Jerusalem and make her a praise on the earth. Remember that that was what he was going to do, give us peace, peace, and the fruit of our lips, bringing forth praise and peace to him. So, that should be told and brought forth to anybody that we have any interactions with. Anybody that we go, wherever we go, or people should know where we stand. Uh, the Living Virgin said, O Jerusalem, I have set intercessors on your walls who shall cry to God all day and all night for the fulfillment of his promises. Take no rest, all you who pray. And give God no rest until he establishes Jerusalem and makes her respected and admired throughout the earth. Uh, well, they are doing the exact opposite today. There's no admiration for what that's happening in Jerusalem today. What's going on in Israel, I think, is very horrendous. And it just doesn't seem that like God would act anything that's a display of true Christianity. And what happens here is in this charge, it's like with Ezekiel during the time Ezekiel, he says, mark those whom therefore here. Mark those that mourn and sigh for the things that are being done in the city, in Jerusalem. There are a lot of people that are weeping and mourning for the way the so-called Christian people or the so-called people of God are doing or what they're doing to others. Just as we mourn and sigh for what's going on here in our land, in our land, the Christian community at large, and by the Catholic Church being universal, a lot of times the Pope issued out bulls or decrees or a, a thing, and he asked the church to pray for different things. And he has a vast array. He's on climate change for a while. He's been talking about climate change and what we're doing in the universe. He's talked on women's issues and so forth. That that is the church's mission to cry out that all, all of us that destroy the earth and say those that destroy the earth, God will destroy. 
place and a duty of shepherdship of the earth. He told us to have dominion to the earth, keep the earth. And so we should be doing that as a choice. So there are a lot of things whereas we transgress the stress. We should be learning in the church. The church should be the ones that's teaching and communicating these things, showing that the people their sins and that these are in fact sins against God. These are transgressions against God. That's why David said, "Can't even you only have a sin to transgress? You to make it awareness. You not to be really passive on this. You should have let people know where you stand that you're on the Lord's side." The fruit of our lips giving him praise. Ezekiel 4 and 4 is when he told Ezekiel to do a symbolic act of laying upon his side uh, 390 days and turn to the other side to show the punishment in the captivity of Israel. But that was a symbolic gesture, but it, it was for the people to pass by and see Ezekiel in this condition and that's what it's for. And that's what we do a lot of time. That's why I say our life should be applied to the other people of what we should live or how we should live or what we should be doing. The warning gets a little bit more, I would I say, it, it, it would cover a vast array of everyone in the New Testament when he says in the book of Matthew 28-19, he says, Go ye out, go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. And the Amplified Version, it says, Go therefore and make disciples of of all the nations. Help the people to learn of me, believe in me, and obey my word. In other words, what's paramount is the instruction of God's word, learning what God's word says. But also being obedient to that word. In other words, bringing them into the fold, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. So we see this where the board general commission as when he says, Go ye therefore into all the world. He wasn't just talking to the apostles, but he was telling us also to do the work of evangelism. We should do that work on our home. To the people we work with. Now, I'm not telling you to go and preach and teach on your job. You could get fired or whatever, and that's not part of your job description. It's to get credit devices, and a lot of Christians today don't realize that sometimes you have to learn. Maybe your church may preach, and your teacher may preach the right way that you don't, that fellow's time clock. You can't impose that views on that. So sometimes you, they say keep religion out of it, but people should know in your work that you're a Christian. They should know by the fruit of your lips the things you say, the way you conduct yourself, the way you go about your duties and things. Your life should display that. You, they should see that in you. So the book of Mark also, a lot of people like to preach this one because it has judgment mixed in with that commission. 16 and 15 says, As he said unto them, Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. That is a, a public proclamation. In other words, let everybody know. He said, He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, but he that believeth not shall be damned. Yeah. 
In other words, they is a curse for transgression and not believing God's word. Mm. Of not walking the true way. Even of going in the church and being in the church, but not believe. Because if you believe, you would continue in his word. You would be obedient to God's word. Uh, the Amplified says, he who has believed in me, has been baptized, will be saved from the penalty of God's wrath and judgment. But he who has not believed will be condemned. But if you believe, works follow those that believe. If you're hearing the word of faith and not forsaking the, the uh, assembling together of yourself, the word sanctifies you and sets you apart. Apart, it consecrates your life unto God. It has a sanctifying influence on you, and that that would scream louder. Sometimes actions, your life, scream louder than what you say, because you can say things that the Pharisees did, but they were hypocritical. And that's what he's addressing here now. That outwardly, these people later on, you see where they say they are fasting and doing all of these religious rituals. And God had noticed because your heart's not right, your motivation is not right. You're not fasting in the right way, and as you fast, in what parts of you are saying and doing something else, that that's not the type of fast God is prepared. It's not a sacrificial fast to where God is truly recognizing you because it's not led by the Spirit of God. It's something brought on by you yourself, and even those that were under the law. He just uh, prescribed fasting on one day, and that was the day of atonement in the Old Testament. But people say they fast two or three days a week as the Pharisees, and people focusing on fasting now. But when you fast, everybody won't know you, you're fasting. He says, don't go and sound the alarm that you're fasting, telling everybody that you're fasting. Now, anybody that goes to the church or goes to this church, you know that I said, well, if you fast, the church's fast day, if you would be in corporate fasting, it would be Tuesday, in which a day publicly we proclaim that if you will fast, the whole church has said that is at least one day. You fast two days, you could be Tuesday, Wednesday, or Monday, and Tuesday, or whatever day you want to, but it's, a, but it's not a, a requirement. Just as his disciples, he's when they said they're not like John's disciples, he said, well, it's hard for them to fast while the bridegroom is with them, but it's going to come a time where they do fast. Your spirituality grows with fasting, and fasting helps you in a spiritual growth and with spiritual muscle, because we see where the disciples tried to cast certain demons out of certain people that Jesus said, don't know. Those only go without by prayer and fasting. In other words, they wasn't in a position to overrule the devil on that at that time. They wasn't in that type of relationship with God. In other words, that authority wasn't given. The book of John, the 21st chapter, in the 16th verse, he says, He said to them again the second time, Simon, son of Jonah, lovest thou me? And he says unto him, Yeah, Lord, you know that I love thee. And he said unto him, Feed my sheep. Feed my sheep. In the Amplified Version, it said, Jesus said to him, Shepherd my sheep. Shepherd my sheep. But to feed his sheep or whatever meant to keep giving out my word. That, that's what should be on our minds all the time. To feed the sheep of God. Even when people
people are leading our gossip and our words and what we're doing and our talking with shouldn't be just our talk. But if you see someone hungry, we feed them. And we feed them with the word of God. I, I don't like to see people with fortunes or things of my opinion or whatever. We talk on secular items. We talk about secular things. You got your new script there, huh? But uh, when we talk about certain things, but if I will tell you something of purity or something of value, and I'm trying to see what it would be to nurture, you know, in, in a conversation, the Word of God. Display the Word of God so that they can grow thereby. The book of Acts, the fifth chapter, the fourth verse says, Go, Peter and them was being released from prison or whatever God had told Peter. He said, go stand and continue to tell the people in the temple the whole message of this life. That is the eternal life revealed by Christ and through faith in him. And that's the fruit of our lips, giving God praise. We witnessing of what God has done for us. Yesterday at preaching and talking, and I hate to use illustrations involving myself or whatever. But I had those things that had happened to me in the last couple of days or whatever. And I told you about the deal with my wallet and everything. All of that, the return of a lost wallet and all this, was the fruit of my best glorifying God saying, look, it's still out of people in my community. God allows things to happen, allowed these things to happen to me and good came of it, but it was to show I, I talked about my door being open, my door coming open, even though I live in the midst of the market. People always talk about the city over there. But that door was open. I don't know how long that door was open when my daughter came that afternoon, about 4.30, and the front door was open. Wide open. She went in. I was in New Orleans or whatever. She closed the door, and I called my nephew to come close it, come look around in the house and see what was anything disturbed or was anything out of place or was anybody anything hiding in there. Yeah. But it's some people that are uh, that are, don't want to witness for God because all I have is for God. If they had stole something or did something, it would have been God who was doing it to even though I'm in possession of it. But there are people that are so proud to talk about different places where they live or whatever. That they're hiding behind iron locked burglar bars and keeping the things locked or whatever. So the reason I spoke of those things was to show you, even in the midst of calamity, even in the midst of a world and in the turmoil and what it is today, God has his people that are in the midst of the lion's den, and God is protecting them from the lion. So that's why we proclaim the good thing. We proclaim things to uplift people, and, and when people say that's nothing but God, it's in, in other words, you want to glorify God. You want people to put God upon their lips and see God is working in the midst of us. The book of Acts, the sixth chapter, the fourth verse says, but uh, Peter was, they was complaining about the widows being served, and that they wasn't getting the proper attention. So Peter and them, the, the apostles, they ordained deacons. They brought the ministry of the deacons to take care of 
anything because it says, but we will continue to devote ourselves steadfastly to prayer and to, to the ministry of the word. The living says, living Bible says, then we can spend our time in prayer, preaching, and teaching. So you see, there's a ministry, there's something that we should do in proclaiming the word of God. We should, so we want to continue to, we have to study, we have to load our God. So, in other words, the prayer in fasting, the prayer should be, Peter said you want to give it time to prayer and studying the word of God. See, we have to know what God's word says, but we have to pray. Prayer should be a major part of fasting. And he said this kind of going only out by prayer and fasting, so if you're fasting, replace the time that you would be eating or whatever with prayer. Replace the time with praying and, and uh, a sincerity talking to God or whatever. And that's what Peter was doing. He was giving a lot of prayer time. He you know, asked the Lord to teach him to pray, conversing with God, but you also need to study God's Word. But anybody that spent all their time talking, if I were to spend all my time preaching or whatever, I would become the empty vessel because somewhere along the line, I have to listen. God has to speak to me. God's Word has to speak to me. I have to know God's word. I have to get revelation. I have to get uh, input from God's word because of what a lot of people have. They may have a knowledge of, of God's word, but not a wisdom to apply that word in applicable situations, uh, understanding or traversing with people of, of how to bring about that. So that's what Peter said. Well, they didn't have time to that day-to-day day -day chores and everything else, doing this would tie them up. So let's give somebody else this job, deacons will go, give deacons this job of ministry to the widows or whatever. So during that time, I could give prime time to reading and studying God's Word and praying because just like y'all, I'm a man also or whatever. So the ministers, that's why most ministers are paid as they try to pay the minister so he'll have time to devote to the word of God. But by you working all day or whatever, well, you don't have as much time to devote to studying the word of God as I do. You wouldn't have the amount of time to pray in the God as I do because you have a job, eight-hour job or ten hours for four days or whatever. You do have that time. So it is something that's a charge or duty of the minister, but it's not the only duty. So just a lot of people love and that sometimes it comes from self or their opinion because they're just saying what's on their mind or whatever. It's not spirit led. A lot of times through studying a lot of times through my notes and what I've studied, if I'm giving the word of God or preaching or teaching sometimes it takes me away away from what I studied. But it's the Spirit interceding at that time, and I'm being led by the Spirit of God. So it's a lot of time the preacher don't get bogged down in his notes, even though that was his preparatory time that he spent with God preparing or whatever. But God left him to a different path. 
And if he keep trying to steer back to those notes, if he keep forcing the spirit, suppressing the spirit to do what he has set out to do or whatever, that preaching or teaching, he may get it done, but it wouldn't be spirit-led. It wouldn't have the effects as if yielding himself to being led by the Spirit of God. Acts 14 and 22 says, Confirming the souls of the disciples and exhorting them to continue in the faith, and that we must, must through much tribulation, enter into the kingdom of God. Cry out, bear not. Show my people their transgressions. Sometimes we could try to avoid tribulation. We could try to avoid the suffering. And in itself, that would be the sin, or that would be the transgression against God, if not going through suffering that we God designed to go through. That's why he says, told Peter, you, you, you don't savor the thing that be of God, because he was saying that Jesus, to avoid the cross, he said, it, does, it must not be that way. No, he had to go the way of the cross. That was God's designed way. So he told Peter, you, you don't understand the things of God. That, that's Satan talking. That's why I say our opinion, our way, we have to realize that we are dual, dual beings and that evil is still within us. Our motivations and the old man is still there. But we must learn of Christ and sometimes we learn through suffering and much tribulation. A strengthening, uh, the book, the Amplified reads, strengthening and establishing the hearts of the disciples, encouraging them to remain firm in the faith, saying, it is through many tribulations and hardships that we must enter the kingdom of God. So here's a minister or preacher preaching to them, preaching to someone, I don't know if it's cross-denomination or lines or whatever way it is, Somebody in the word of faith may be preaching or teaching that you shouldn't be suffering or you shouldn't be doing this. If you have faith, this is what down. So sometimes you will have many a hardship. You will have many a tribulation. You will have to walk alone a lot of times. Sometimes it's going to be very divisive. And we need those that are strengthening us in the word of God. So, so I say, if we proclaim the word of God, that truth is going to be good for somebody that's hearing it because it's a living word. We can't preach all blessings and promises and feel-good sermons. Sometimes we have to go in with the preciseness of a surgeon and put our hand on that tender nerve where it'll fail. Yeah. Where it gets down to this is your problem. Here's when you transgress in God. Yeah. And it becomes offensive to them because it's the evil, it's the old man within him that's buried deep, that don't want to be released. He don't want to be bothered. He don't want to be taken off the throne. But we have to go in and kick him off the throne. Yes, Where they, he says, were they help the believers to grow in love for God and each other. They encouraged them to continue in the faith in spite of all the persecution, reminding them that they must enter into the kingdom of God through many tribulations. So, just because it gets hard, the tribulations and things come, you're going, you may be going the right way. Don't let that deter you. 
tribulations and all of those things come, will come in portion, proportion to some of our faith. In the book of Acts, the 20th chapter and the 28th verse says, Take heed therefore unto yourselves and to all the flock over which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseer, to feed the church of God which he had purchased with his own blood. So this admonition that he had gained in uh, the book of Isaiah 15, to spare not, cry loud and spare not, because he had died, he had given his blood for this flock, and he told him, if you love me, Peter, you would feed the flock. But feeding the flock is also telling him that from among you, grievous wolves will rise up. Yeah. It's going to be people that don't want to hear what you preach. It's going to be people that don't want to listen or don't want you touching on these things because those things are ingrained in them. They're the works of the flesh. And the only way we can exercise this demon is to rebuke and exhort and to reprove. We have to punch that ticket. Spare life that some preachers have to have brimstone. You have to bring the word of God. That's the rod or that's the club. It's like that sword that cuts. It cuts deep. Very hurtful a lot of times. But it does circumcise the heart. It, it sanctifies it if, if you obey it. If you obey that word, and, and you won't be pretentious because that area when he was talking about pretentious people and pious people, I'm sure there's a lot of people in the church that the Pharisees were rejected. That they say they was offended. Peter, do you know you offend him? Offended them in that? Yeah, he did do know it, but he's, he has a charge from God. To preach the word, to preach it when people don't want it. You got to preach it at, at, at all costs. Uh, the Amplified says, Take care and be on God for yourselves and for the whole flock over which the Holy Ghost, the Holy Spirit, had appointed you as overseers to shepherd. That is, tend, feed, and guide the church of God which he bought with his own blood. Living says, And now beware. Be sure that you feed and shepherd God's flock, his church which he purchased with his blood. For the Holy Spirit is holding you responsible as overseer. God holds us responsible, just like I said, as parents and grandparents. It may not be over a flock of the church in general as a pastor, but as a grandparent, a lot of times my children don't like what I tell them about raising their children. Remember I was telling you about, I told my daughter about the jacket. My, my granddaughter didn't have a jacket on. You have to also tell them these things that are right. It says the old women teach the young women. The old men. So your responsibility as a parent don't end just because they're grown. And then Samuel tried to tell his children that they were wrong by laying with the women at the doorway of the church or whatever. They wouldn't listen to Samuel or whatever. And Samuel was telling them, if a man sin against a man, it's another thing, but if you sin against God, there's a problem. Now, a lot of times I may go quiet, I'll pray to God. That's why in prayer and supplication, I'll ask God, could he help something? I pray 
with and for and against my children on numerous, numerous occasions. In other words, that they would have a preacher or someone come in because sometimes they may listen at their friends or someone else better than they would be because a lot of times they reject that which is familiar and they say don't provoke your children to anger over that. But they know I'm not on board with what they're saying or what they're doing. So as a minister, they don't bring that to me and they don't say those things to me. I voice and I say things, whether it's against their religion or not. This is what I believe. This is what's right. So with my grown children, they, they went nowhere that line of demarcation. Consistently, they want to overthrow you on that throne. That's part of who or what they are. Jesus is the only one that was sufficient, submissive unto his father, unto death. But when Elijah, it says Elijah, the spirit of Elijah, he'll send Elijah to turn the heart of the parents to the children, the children's heart to the parents, and the parents vice versa. But he uses the word father, but he means fathers to the sons and daughters, mothers to the daughters, and vice versa. That we start, because as I was talking to my neighbor, I told you that I was talking to, she's almost nine, I think. But she was saying a lot of her sons and daughters come to me and say, well, mama, we got to listen up. I see what you were saying over there. Because our responsibility is always give them the truth. Tell them the truth. Well, I wouldn't do that if I was you aware. Well, I time she'd be saying, get on that wall and do this. I said, well, you shouldn't holler at them so much. You make them nervous and you make them, you make children jittery and you don't holler and scream at children as you're hollering at an animal or a dog or whatever. The new thing is putting them in time out, making them stand against the line or something or whatever. But biblically, I tell them you've been the rod, uh, been the sap while it's young. You know, you, you beat them with a rod, they not for that. They need corporal punishment. They need a reinforcement of that chastisement with that belt, with that strap, with that switch. Talking is not the You remember I told you one of my sons said, well, no, Dad, I, I'm going to have to teach him a lesson because you're going to be done to talk to him. Sometimes talking is appropriate, but sometimes corporate punishment with beating them as the Bible tells you. That's why we're in a promiscuous generation with sexuality and fighting back against the elderly and the infirm. They don't know what to do with the juveniles nowadays that's escaping. And they were saying that these two guys were murderers that had escaped. The two 16 and 15 year olds that escaped the other day, one of them is still on the run, been on the run for three months, two or three, two months or so. Well, no, someone's helping Although someone's helping you don't have a job. But these people are being held for first degree murder. And then they were talking to the news people and said, well, look, we're in a different generation at a different time. This was this building was built in the 50s, and it was just a holding. It wasn't for people that committed some of the crimes that we do have. They were so upset about the government housing them in Angola or somewhere. Some of these people were breaking out, carjacking, and killing older or different people over we have to address things because it's the younger generation that's wreaking the havoc. Because why? 
they wasn't raised according to biblical standards. The reason we have the murder rate the way it is today is because we've taken care of the punishment off the table. These people that kill two or three people that's still out on, on the streets or whatever are sitting in Angola, sitting in prison, so we're talking about serving the life sentence. It's causing hundreds of thousands of dollars to house these people that's guilty of murder. Whereas God says a life for a life. Romans 12, 6 8 says, Having then gifts, this is what I was telling you earlier, having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, whether prophecy let us prophesy according to the proportion of faith of, of, of our ministry, let us wait on ministry, or he that teacheth on teaching, or he that exhorted on exhortation, he that giveth, let him do it with simplicity, he that ruleth, let him with diligence rule, he that showeth mercy, let him do it with simplicity. Uh, the Amplified says, since we have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, that each one of us use it to, to, to them accordingly as God had gifted them. If in the same way the living said, God has given each of us the ability to do certain things well. So if God has given you the ability, the ability to prophesy, then prophesy whenever you can, as often as your faith is strong enough to receive a message from God. If your gift is that of serving others, then serve them well. If you are a teacher, then do a good job teaching. If you are a preacher, see to it that your sermons are strong and helpful. If God has given you money, be generous in helping others with it. If God has given you administrative ability and put you in charge of the work of others, take the responsibility seriously of, of responsibility seriously. Those who offer comfort to the sorrowing should do it with Christian cheer. So there's different and varying gifts that God gives us all. I got some more. I'll put them toward the end of the lesson if we get to them today. But it started off, cry loud and spare not. In other words, warn the wicked is among you. And we don't want to do that. A lot of us say it's offensive. We embrace homosexuality. We embrace lesbianism. We embrace same-sex marriage. We embrace, embrace whatever iniquity with these things is. Instead of telling these people, yes, God has a church and we all have faults and flaws and everything, but you are in a perversion. You are in sin. You need to pray to God to forgive you at this he didn't come to save us in our sins. He came to save us from our sins. So we should continue in sin that grace shall abound. We have, we have to seek repentance. We have to seek turning around. So in warning the wicked, Second Chronicles 19 and 10, it says, And what cause soever shall come to you of your brethren that dwell in their city between blood and blood, in other words, between relatives, between law and commandments, statutes and judgments, you shall even warn them that they trespass not against the Lord, and so wrath come upon you and upon your brethren, this do, and you shall not trespass. That's what's been happened with this nation. We're about to say that we have a president that really seems to be maybe not 
president because of his age. Not just because of his age, because his age is right. I'm not saying age relevant, but his capacity, in other words, his something there, and he's not completely disqualified. But I don't think he's, he's as qualified as, say, a Bernie Sanders would be. I think Bernie Sanders is much more capable than his age of what he's saying or doing, and he's right along with what the president would be. But like I said, we have varying gifts in time. Yes. But the reason he won and the reason they're saying about he may become president again is that the person that he goes that he's running against shows how corrupt our nation is. This man has been indicted. This man is an outright, we see how criminality, how rude, how so much that he would lead the country astray. Authoritarian, dictator, he would change the government perhaps or whatever. But it says something about a nation if that's the type of person that we would elect as a president. As leaders, they should be beyond reproach. So, the warning here, we see that this nation as a nation is gone. If we have this problem that a lot of people living in fear that this type man could win elections all. Don't look like that. You don't realize that he may win. And I think he may win. He could win. Whenever any dispute comes to you from your brothers or relatives who live in their city, between blood and blood, between law and commandment, or between statutes and judgments, you are to warn and instruct them so that they may not be guilty before the Lord. Otherwise, God's wrath will come on you and your brothers. Do this and you will not be guilty. So this is about justice and what goes on in the law. And that's what I'm saying here, that we do have a problem. A lot of people, the same people now, that thinking this may not happen, they're not actually seeing what is happening and what's going on because, like I say, we have a problem here. And, and only the wise, only those that God's leading and seeing that maybe God allows this to come for the nation to fall as a nation for the regathering of it the way it should be. See, because just because this happens, like I say, in the midst of storm, God still gives peace and calm. All those things work together. So just because I live where I live, what happened to me the other day, it still doesn't change the community. How many armed robbers and everything else is going in, what's going on in the world. So don't 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 think that this couldn't happen or won't happen. It may be part of what God allows to happen to bring about it. Isaiah 58 1, cry aloud and spare not. Lift up thine voice like the trumpet and show my people their transgression and the house of Jacob their sin. Yet they seek me daily and delight to know my ways as a nation that did righteousness and forsook not the ordinance of their God. They ask of me the ordinances of justice and they take delight in approaching unto God. So, we don't realize that all our job is is a warning. 
the results are in God's hands. And that's why I said a lot of people, when you warn them and tell them much tribulation and many things shall come about and happen, don't think everything follows that course that, oh, no, this is not what happened. No, God allows those things to happen for a reason. Yeah. He allowed it to be elected the first time for a reason. We don't see what's going on a lot of times because, like I said, we're in spiritual complacency. And our, the teaching and the instruction, and that's why I try to do a good bit of teaching and instruction. When you go out and pray and seek God for yourself, you seek to be in a relationship with Jesus Christ because the bottom's about to fall out of this thing, you know? Jeremiah was telling the people. That's what Isaiah is telling them here. That God's going to bring judgment. Part of judgment on this station, when you keep saying, when you believe in God, when God says he's going to cause judgment to fall, meaning it's not going to go the way you think it's going to go. And a lot of us, we're not brought to our knees, so I'm thinking this may have to happen to, to help weed out the church, to help plan the church. This may this, that's why I say this may happen. This may be the course for it to happen. Don't, don't not say, 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 when I say unto the wicked, thou shalt surely die, and thou givest him not warning, nor speakest to warn the wicked from his wicked ways to save his life. The same wicked man shall die in his iniquity, but his blood will be required at thine hand. So in other words, you didn't warn this person because uh, it, it, you didn't realize that you were thinking of yourself. You didn't just go speak God's word and allow it to happen what's happened. Let the chips fall where they may. I said what I delivered what God had given me to deliver. So whether you saved or not, I planted the seed. Someone else warned it. God is the one that gave it the increase. He said, but you will be responsible for his blood if you don't help him. So I'm, I'm saying as a nation, just think of the preachers right now. I was listening to Robert Reed yesterday talking about the nation and what's going on in the nation or whatever. 100% agreement with what he said. Yeah. But you see, those of us that are looking at this from a position not realizing, mm, this is not, you know, laughable. You're laughing now. But you you made born later because a lot of times the one that didn't realize are not the, are the ones that's not knocking down praying and in fear and trembling saying God's breaking this about. Jeremiah was saying go into captivity. Babylon's gonna come in and take us into captivity. We have to go into captivity. Which people say no, God ain't gonna let that happen to the church. He ain't gonna let that happen to the people. Well, it's Jesus Christ here in Revelation that's saying that he's going to fight against the church, that the church is need, is need of repentance, that the church is walking contrary. But he speaks only to a few that he says that he sealed them and that through much suffering. So the righteous shall scarcely make what you think will happen to the wicked, to the, to the, to the very wicked of those that are not righteous in God. Because remember he said, the righteous are taken away. So it's going to be a lot of good people dying. Oh, yeah. It's going to be a lot of righteous people 
died. Don't think that it won't happen that way. That's why the other day I was praying, and I was telling you I was praying for my son to wear. I don't know what God had. But I look at my son, my brother, when he lost his son or whatever, and I'm telling him how, you know, but I don't, I didn't feel that way. I can only imagine how he feel, feel to lose a son. But you have to realize God do take children away. Yeah. God takes spouses away. Thirty-three, Ezekiel thirty-three and nine says, Nevertheless, if thou warn the wicked of his way to turn from it, if he do not turn from his way, he shall die in his iniquity, but thou hast delivered thine soul. So what I'm saying here is not a statement against the people personally. This is Hillary Clinton during her election campaign. And they were talking about the different electorate. She called the followers of Donald Trump the, the deplorable. In which I think she was correct. Unless they change, and it may be some of them that may not fit in that category of deplorable. And I don't know for what reason or what motivation were they following, but I, I can imagine that you know, yes, I can understand her using that word, and I think it was a very fit word yeah. for that part of the electorate. Mm -hmm. But then, vice versa here, he used a word a couple of weeks ago that Hitler used, he called it vermin. He used the word vermin. Now, that using that word that showed me something about his character, or some of the motivations which as, as those that followed the story would understand, that that wasn't a word that a man, man that had anything of godliness in him or whatever would say about the people of the of the nation. Deplorable would be a good word because there are some things that I look at, at in my life where I've been deplorable. That's why when Jacob said he was a worm. It was deplorable what David did to Uriah. So there are things that we can do to repent of. But then the, some of the things that we do, you have to warn people about character issues here. Uh, I think I have it here somewhere. Let, let me continue, continue going here because, like I said, the warning is not just to the leader or to the to, 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 the, to the priest is to the people also because in the New Testament it changes that we're transgressing God with idle words, the words of our mouth that we have to give account for in speaking evil of other people is wicked. It says speak evil of no man. So here we have if he died in his iniquity, but thou hast delivered his soul. So preachers are warning, and, and they're not cherry-picking or witnesses or people. Sometimes people tell you things, a parent, a child, anyone that tells you anything. But well, we have to give account for the words we speak. Yes. But if God had designed and gave you something, or you felt of the Lord to speak by faith, if you speak in that by faith, by all means. But if it's a personal opinion, someone that has got next to you, then that's a different problem. That's revenge of that 
vengeance, and God says, vengeance is mine. First Thessalonians 5.14 says, Now, we exhort you, brethren, warn them that are unruly, comfort the feeble-minded, support the weak, be patient toward all men. So you see that warning there, that you do have feeble-minded people among you. I'm not saying that. Our president is feeble-minded. I think he's getting a little bit older. Some things may be a little bit harder to deal with. It takes a little bit longer time of patience or whatever. Yeah. But I would speak comfortably to him, and I, I, I regard his character much higher than I do a lot of others. Yeah. It says, support the weak. Warn them that are unruly. Now, there are some politicians, and that's what's the problem in the House of Republicans now, is so many unruly people there and that they're saying that they are Christians and the evangelicals instead of that being a warning to the evangelicals they complicit in it. That's what they're warning about national Christianity. So this is where the warning should be. The preachers should be out warning about this type of Christianity. This national Christianity that we've come into. The Amplified says we earnestly urge you believers Admonish those who are out of line, that is, the undisciplined, the unruly, the disorderly. And that's why the first speaker of the House resigned. John Boehner quit, went back where he did. Because trying to lead these people is like herding cats. So we have those that are disorderly. He said, encourage the timid, those who lack spiritual courage. There are those who lack spiritual courage and timid. In other words, this is the intact man. This is the man that's not in control of his household. This is the guy that's on the job that's not going to stand up for himself. This is for the, the, the children and the family that are being bossed over by some of the other children or some people bullying people or some people in church that, that is shy and timid. Mm-hmm. Timothy was shy. He was timid. And Paul told him to drink a little wine for his often infirmities because there's a lot of preachers and people that do a lot of speaking sometimes. It does cause heartburn, the irritability, and depression, and all those things come back if you're a proper pastor. That's why he sent Titus to preach because the priest was a different type of congregation to preach to. If you read that first chapter where Paul says they're liars and slow-bellied and lazy, Everything else, it takes a different type of man to deal with these things. But it says, help the spiritually weak, be very patient with everyone, always controlling your temper. The living says, dear brothers, warn those who are lazy, comfort those who are frightened, take tender care of those who are weak, and be patient with everyone. So those are the jobs and duties of a pastor or leader, someone but the pastor has to have this boldness. God's spirit gives him boldness. It reinforces his strength. And we have to ask God to strengthen us and give us the ability to proclaim his word and stand up for the truth. Those are things we pray for and ask for because reproof is not of all people, but a pastor has to be able to reproof. Yeah. The book of Luke says, 17 and 3 says, Take heed to yourself. If thy brother trespass against you, rebuke him, and if he repents, forgive him. Uh, 
the Amplified says, pay attention and always be on guard, looking out for one another. If your brother stands and disregards God's precepts, solemnly warn him, and if he repents and changes, forgive him. Have no fellowship with the untruthful works of darkness, but rather reprove them. That's why I say you have to be able to tell people where to get on and get off at. As a Christian, you shouldn't take people trampling on and walking on you. You should do it in a God-led way. Turning the other cheek, a lot of people saying about turning the other cheek, but you don't understand the spiritual dimensions of that. That doesn't mean that you take stuff off everybody else. Uh, Ephesians 5 and 11, do not participate in worthless and unproductive deeds of darkness. But it instead exposed it by exemplifying personal integrity, moral courage, and godly character. So this is how we sound the law. It has to be a sharp difference. It has to be a, a, a profound difference between holy, that which is holy, and that which is not holy. Because we have to shine the light on those things of darkness. Take no part in worthless pleasures of evil and darkness, but instead rebuke them and expose them. Expose. It takes a whole lot to expose someone to something. But this passive naivety is a sin within itself. That's what he's telling you. The violent have to take it by force. That's why sometimes there's divorces that come. It says divorce, but being estranged when the Bible says divorce. There are a lot of people that have to separate. There's no ground for divorce, but we can't live together. We can no longer. That's why the husband and wife is estranged, because I don't have grounds for divorce. And that's why it says they can come back together, because it's just like through the law, you could get a divorce of irreconcilable differences. In other words, that it just ain't gonna work out. Right. But see, through the word of God, the word of God didn't justify divorce but irreconcilable differences. So you see where you would be out of the word of God, you would have to just say, Well, look, you know, let's just stay in different rooms or let's do other things. Like if the other person wants a divorce, they can divorce you. You're not divorcing them. But there is such a thing as a separation. Because God desires that we be at peace. But a woman has a right to speak out against abuse or domestic violence or whatever. She shouldn't be subject to those things. That's a transgression against God also. So this should be forgotten about, but she shouldn't be forced to submit in an unproductive situation. 1 Timothy 5 and 20 says, Them that sin rebuke before all that others also may fear. As for those elders who continue in sin, reprimand them in the presence of all the congregation so that the rest will be warned. That's where the Catholic Church has had allowed all of these priests to continue with this molestation of children. We'll end this right here and start it back when. They're right at the same spot. I hate to end so abruptly, but we don't want to go too far because I got a long way to go. 